Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 41 of the show. This week's guest is one of my besties, Mark Fisher Fitness Bowery Super Ninja, Shoe Genius, and one of the founding members of the Films of Fury Pod Squad, my buddy, Tony Ramo. Now before you get to hear Tony and I talk, you get to hear me talk about myself. Uh, sorry, just put up with this. I'll try to get through it quickly. Hey, for the first time, I'm offering a Rule June sale on everything that I offer here at Fury Industries. So I've got a sale running on small group classes, personal training, and online coaching. Check out CoachFury.com slash RuleJune for all the sale info and hit me up on that. You can also find everything else in terms of courses, uh, episodes of this podcast, workshops I have coming up. All that info at CoachFury.com. Speaking of courses, here's some dates coming up. HKC One Day Kettlebell Certification, the Hard Style Kettlebell Certification, is on July 15th at MFF Bowery. The DVRT 4-Hour Ultimate Sandbag Training Workshop. This is a great place to get acquainted with the system and use of the Ultimate Sandbag. Is happening at Brooklyn Health and Performance on August 12th. New one, Original Strength Pressing Reset Workshop. It's coming back to MFF Bowery on September 16th, and the DVRT Level 1 and 2 certifications are happening at MSC Strength. Stoked to come back to Boston for those to MSC. Thanks, Tina and Tim. On September 22nd and 23rd, the RKC in Tokyo in October is sold out. OS is happening the first weekend of November in Tokyo. So, again, all of this info is at CoachFury.com. Let's get on to the show. Episode 41 with Tony Raymond. Thank you for hopping on. I know it makes yeah, so, right. so much sense, but I'm like, so like fucking punk rock fluid, dude. It just happens as it happens. I'm like Bodie and Patrick Swayze. <laughs> uh, like Bodie and Patrick true. Swayze. That made no sense. Patrick Swayze as, as Bodie. Point I got you. I got you. You uh, can edit that in. But as we're here right now, folks, uh, and making movie references, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Tony, uh, who happens to be a member of the Films of Fury pod squad. Tony, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, Hey, Fury. Uh, I'm Tony, 53 years old, father of one, residing in beautiful downtown East Village, Manhattan. Um, I make some shoes. I play a little bass. I lift the heavy things every once in a while. You lift the heavy things more than every once in a while, let's, let's be honest there. And we're going to talk about that. But you know what? Let's actually like back up a little bit. Sure. You have um, uh, a very interesting career, at least in my opinion, when we've gotten to nerd out about footwear, when I'm like, we're going to design the best kettlebell swinging shoe ever while I'm wearing my super skateboarding shoes. <laughs> right. With like but, the, worst, the worst like in-gym footwear possible because <laughs> you have no feeling through those uh those skate outsoles but but tell the, the people a little bit about the brand that you work for and your role in it because you know I, I think a lot of us talk like i literally just saw two posts on I can't remember if it was instagram or facebook already or about just in the last two days about trainers like how do i get new an apparel brand not just looking to make like branded t-shirts but literally like i'm gonna make an apparel brand and i yeah. think you're on the footwear side of that which is probably one of the most complex areas to get into it. And we've had, um, we had Mike from pedestal footwear on and he talked about the socks, 
But tell us a little bit about like your brand, what you do and, and, and how that, what your role is within that. Uh, sure. So um, I am managing director of a company called Mobs Design, and we are a casual footwear brand. Um, we make sneakers, but not in the sense of like, we want you to play basketball and run in our sneakers, although you could. We make fashion casuals, but they're built on sneaker constructions. So they end up being just hyper comfortable and really supportive and, you know, generally better for running around than like a clock, a Clark's wallaby or a driving shoe or whatever, you know, whatever you would consider a casual shoe before. Um, and I basically, I don't draw the shoes and it's not my company. Um, but I tell people like, it's my job to herd the cats. So, you know, I kind of organize, I organize all the processes and do my best to manage them, you know, to, to, varying degrees of success. Okay, so we've talked about your company and uh, can, you, can you tell the people about like your, one of the more recent famous people caught on TV wearing them? Sure, yeah, so, um, you know, uh, exposure for a new brand is everything and we work with a pretty talented PR agency that's got offices in New York and LA. Um, I was out in LA and got a phone call actually the week that the press junkets were starting for Avengers Infinity War and um, our PR agent called us and said, oh, Robert Downey Jr.'s stylist called and he's wearing your pink high top all day today. And it was like, of course he is, because who even knew we gave him a pink high top? <laughs> and he ended up, yeah, so it's this, you know, there's, there's this crazy surreal day of the stylist is post posting on Instagram of like from these shoots that she's at with the cast of Infinity War. And um, RDJ kept the shoes on all day. You know, we had sent him a bunch of shoes. She had a bunch of other looks for him to wear. And he changed his clothes like four times that day, but left the pink sneakers on all day. So fast forward to uh, the Kimmel show that night when he was doing the week of Avengers or whatever. And he opens with, you know, the, I think, you know, Downey and I can't remember who else was on Sp uh, Spider-Man. And um, I think ScarJo was there, but um he's sitting right next to the desk in this suit and he's got this giant pink sneakers and you see it <laughs> like he's on for the whole show. So if you're watching, you're like seeing the sneaker on there and it was crazy because people were hitting him up on his Twitter. And, you know, of course he wasn't answering people on his Twitter. So our people went in and were like, Hey, those shoes are mobs design and you can get them at mobsdesign.com. Um, so it's pretty cool, but I guess he's a fan. I mean, the stylist said he didn't take them off all day. And so it's, you know, it's cool. They're, they're pretty cool shoes. So it was like, that's, nice amazing. that's amazing. And yeah. they are cool. You gave me a pair. Yeah. Yeah. You got one of the early ones, actually. Yeah. yeah I've got prototypes. I'm going to pretend they're extra, there. extra special. They um, are. I want to take this story and I want to try to apply it a little bit. I, I wasn't thinking of this when I, when I brought it up, but I think it's interesting. And, and again, Tony and I have talked about his business and, and, and the workflow and finances to some degree. Um, not, no secret information, but you know, not all that would be shared here today. Yeah. But, in terms of like that placement and that awareness, um, you know, a lot of us in fitness land are trying to do that, right? Myself included. And I, I'm folks, uh, this came up on the Becky Cody episode. Um, aside from pushing this podcast, I'm like one potentially uh, career devastating way step away from like literally making my business uh, other than workshops and the podcast, I should say, uh, in, in terms of my training business, all eye to eye handshake referral business. Um, the more I look on my Instagram feed and see the responses on my own stuff and the stuff that other people are putting up, I, I, uh, trainers, I think we're, we're in, a, in one hand, a, a great time of social media to promote ourselves. 
But in another, I think, man, it's a whole lot of work just to try to be good at being a coach where we didn't have those pressures the same before. Now there's more maybe potential room for growth, but you know, when, so trainers are just scrapping, trying to learn the best of handling these algorithms, trying to make it work. What hashtags are working? What's the best time to post? What's what change in Instagram happened now? What we've talked about and what you just mentioned here is you are hiring an extremely high end company to deal with that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. what, what do you think is something that like, um, is one of the tactics they have, I'm not saying like a trade secret, but something that they might have access to that actually works on a level that we might not be able to find or figure out or make happen on our own as a trainer, or if you were coming up with your own brand without the financial backing, what, what, what's like a strategy that you see that they have access to that maybe we can't or are unaware of? I mean, I think, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cheat, right? Because, um, specific to the people that we're hiring, a lot of what you're getting is their Rolodex, right? So as far as getting influencers in the product to post about the product or, you know, to get, to generate noise on Instagram or to generate noise on social media, you know, they have, you know, I, I won't talk about their roster because I probably yeah, please don't know who they are, but, but, you know, they have some major, major brands and some major, major uh, people that they can reach out to. Um, and they're powerful enough to be able to say like, okay, not only, I'll give you a perfect example. So we didn't even know that, that Downey was getting the shoes, right? So his stylist came into, you know, came into the, the showroom. She's like, oh my God, I'm working with RDJ. He's going to love this brand. Let's send him a line sheet. And he picked out some shoes. Well, you know, there, he had no obligation to wear the shoes. He had no obligation to post about them once he wore them. He just basically got free shoes as sort of a consequence of his celebrity. When you step up and you start paying people, you know, if you have, if you have the money to pay people to manage these sort of marketing assets, then it's like, okay, Robert Downey Jr., here's the thing. We'll give you these shoes maybe we'll throw you some cash, but then you are obligated to give us X amount of posts. You are obligated to give us X amount of exposure. You are obligated to tag us this many times. Maybe you do something else for us. So you, you build more of a long-term relationship. You get him to join your brand. And I think that, but so, so it, the, the part about like who we just hired doesn't apply so much. What I can tell you is the other thing I learned about in the last year is actually Instagram and Facebook advertising and targeting using the Facebook's algorithms and, you know, how to, you know, how to like interfere Russia style in your potential customers' <laughs> lives, right? Because that's basically how it is. And, you know, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram advertising, I'm not going to pretend to really know much about it, but I can tell you what you find out when you first start down that rabbit hole is you know, it's know your audience. And I would say if you're a trainer, you know, you can, you can, you can be a specialist. You can say like, you know, I want, you, you can literally go to Facebook and I'm going to use a, just a gross example because I was playing with the algorithm when we first started the process to say, I want like people who live in area code 1003 with an income of more than X with 2.5 children who like mayonnaise, right? It's that ridiculous. And you can get all those mayonnaise loving downtown dwelling people. And then you can say like, okay, and they'll say, okay, if you want to spit at a million of those people, this is what it costs. And then you get roughly roughly 0.2% return on that. So out of that million, you're going to get like no more than 2% back on that. I, th um, I, think, I think that's important to note that yeah. like the cost versus the return, because I know yeah. a lot of people I've been talking with, you know, like uh, I train a lot of trainers as well. So, and, and yeah. obviously a lot of my friends are, and we have these conversations like, 
I am struggling to reach people at Fury Industries because it's a home setting. I, I don't yeah. have a storefront. I don't have a flag. You can't walk by. You literally have to almost know like a friend of a friend or a secret secret handshake almost yep. in a way. I mean, I push on social media, but it's, it's just not the same. And certainly Facebook in particular, you know, the glory days of just being able to put up a post and get a wide reach is over. No. It, like you have to pay for that. And it's great that you could be targeted, but the return of investment is hard. And you see a lot of people, trainers that might not have the income to invest in that, putting in a lot of money to get that, that 0.2% return. Yep. yep. And I'm also going to throw this out here. I haven't tried Yelp. And uh, trainers, if you're out there, businesses, uh, feel free to comment in the comment section of this post. But I have gotten the sense repeatedly from many companies that Yelp is the fucking devil. Um, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with them where I'm explaining that I do not have the income to support Yelp ads, especially their older algorithm, where uh, older system when it was like 300 bucks a month. Is that... Oh, my phone's ringing. I'm the asshole. Hold on, everybody. Go ahead. I'm going to leave that in as shame for myself to just prove that I was wrong. But, you know, so I'm having this conversation with them, and I'm very polite. I'm like, look, I, I, I right now cannot spend 300 whatever bucks a month on this with a year contract. And she goes, well, how can you afford not to? You know, your site's excellent. She, you know, she's very complimentary. And it's like, you know, I got some, I got like 10 five-star reviews. I have pictures of all the workshops and people that I train. So like, it looks like a, you know, like something. And she's like, but how can you not do? I'm like, well, she's like, we'll get you this many clicks. But I'm like, are you going to guarantee me that many signups? And what if I don't get that many signups? And she had no answer. Yeah. And, th- and therein lies the rub. I mean, and, 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 you know, Instagram and, and Yelp and Facebook, Marketing, advertising, I mean, I, it's sort of the modern day, you know, I have the same criticism as I've had for PR for years. So I used to joke, it's not even a joke. I used to complain that PR is the only, the only job where you can get paid all the money for maybe, right? So you go to a PR agency and it's like, okay, here's my shoes, go get placements. They're like, okay, that'll be $10,000 a month. Great. Well, where's my placement? It's like, well, oh, we can't guarantee. Like we showed them the shoes. Like we can't guarantee you're actually going to get the placement and that, you know, Instagram and Facebook advertising, Yelp, all those guys is like, we'll, um, you know, we will, we will give you the exposure. We will put you in front of however many people, you know, uh, you, you buy or however many impressions you sign up for. But again, I mean, there's no guarantee. And then what happens is the, the thing that you've got to go a little bit down the rabbit hole to realize that what it really is, is remarketing because what you're doing is you're building a funnel, right? So if you say, let's pretend that Fury Industries is a billion-dollar company. <laughs> let's, let's project. Let's project and say, $10 like, dollar right, company. Okay, so you're a $10 company, and you're saying, like, okay, so you go to Facebook, and you're like, all right, you've, you've gone through, and I'm telling you, you get a spreadsheet that Facebook and Oracle put together where you can kind of cross-reference all of these different kinds of customers and all these pe- different people that you want to reach. Like, like I said, down to the condiment level, you know? Um, and, you know, you'll say to Facebook, all right, give me 500,000 exposures with these kinds of people. And then you wait and you see the return. And so the things you're looking for, um, when they talk about conversion rate, it's the number of people who click on the ad, the number of people who actually click to the checkout, and then the number of people who actually buy. So what'll happen is, so you'll start out with that group of 500,000 and maybe the total you get from that is 800 people. 
Then you look and you see those 800 people who either put something in the cart or checked out, and you look at the common you look at the commonality that they have, and then you go to Facebook. You say, okay, just the just the common interest that these people have. I want another 500,000 just in this little limited thing. So your funnel starts out really big; it gets slightly smaller. And you go out and you you basically repeat this process. And what we've been told, and unfortunately, you know, even with the the, the financial backing I have, you know, what we've been told is that you can't really get that funnel built until you've sold a thousand of the things you sell. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like I have to sell a thousand pairs of shoes before it's like this is exactly who we're who we're selling to. Okay, that's the bad news. Is like it's a long fucking climb to a thousand, right? It's very Sisyphean, right? It's just like ah, like we have cold weather in the East Coast, nobody fucking buys sneakers, you know. So we'll have you know a a ten pair a day, you know, and then we'll have like no pairs for a couple days. It'll be forty degrees in June, you know. Um, So you you can't you're trying to measure, you're trying to to quantify this spend and qualify this marketing. Effort. And what, you know, what ultimately happens, though, the good news is that once you get that, um, and again, we're working, you know, I'm very lucky in the case of, of mobs, because, you know, we basically hired the best people out there to do this, they've done some other brands that everybody's heard of. And actually, Facebook uses them, like six of their case examples they talk about in Facebook advertising were done by the company we use. <laughs> so it's like, all right, so these people know what they're talking about. But you know, when I, I met with the owner back in September, I said, so you're saying at some point, you're pretty much guaranteeing that we'll sell all the shoes. And he's like, yeah, because at, at the end of that particular road, you're only targeting people who are basically guaranteed to buy. It's because like you, you're built- finding your tribe by whittling down yeah, your yeah. Facebook ads. It's fascinating. It's- now, on the, on the spin of that, like you have the financial backing to be able to support that. I right. think struggle that a lot of trainers are, and I've done this myself, is like we do this one-ditch effort of like however many, like $100, $200, $300, $500, yeah. hoping it's going to nail something. And then that's like tapped us, and yeah. we don't have anything left for it. I think that if I was going to reverse engineer it for, for something like a fitness industry or even, you know, I've got my side gig where I do the, the you know, I can't, I, the smart guy, I don't like to call it geniusing because I'm worried that like Apple's listening and they'll sue me. But, you know, where I'm freelance, you know, I, I do freelance tech support. And, you know, basically I know that there's a certain profile, there's a certain commonality in the profile of the people I work with. And so if I only, so in the old days we would be like, oh, we'll only work on referrals. So if I want, you know, if I want to be sort of the Apple genius for the rich and famous, I'm only going to be like, you know, interested in people above a certain income who live in Manhattan, who, you know, however you want to do that, you kind of have to do that, do that legwork yourself and go like, all right, here's, here's who I seem to work with. And then, you know, you, you kind of reverse build that funnel and say, okay, give me more people like the people I'm already working with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's harder because it's a it's a model that works really really well for Facebook and not so much for the independent contractor because it's based on the idea that you have to you've got to have a huge fucking shotgun right you got you start out with the biggest you you start out with a fucking howitzer and you're getting down to the sniper from a mile away yeah right? and in between you have to pick up every other gun in between. So, and you, you, you shorten and shorten the range, but the problem is every time you pick up a gun, you need to buy ammo and that's how Facebook makes their money. And know? that's why like one of the things that I, I just seeing everything, I, I can't help but think that if somehow we could take this power back, now I'm not talking necessarily as like the, the, the industry, the, the location owners, if I had a more, uh, if I had an outside brick and mortar space, other than, you know, training from home here at Fury Industries. You know, that's a little bit different, but a lot of us as coaches are, are so built on our brand 
the external view of our brand and that external reach versus the actual direct, you know, referral, you know, word of mouth type of thing. Right. And I'm really for myself struggling with where that sits because the more I'm seeing what my, my neighborhood and more I'm meeting people in the neighborhood, the more I'm getting to know my membership, small as it might be right now. Um, you know, they're all wonderful. And, you know, I, I can tell that they're, you know, uh, getting a lot out of being here. My, my faith in what we do here is high. Yep. But since it is actually like, you know, a home setting for this, like, I'm kind of like, you know, maybe this is the wrong investment in my time to some degree versus like if I went to the local bar, had a drink, got to know the bartender, handed them like two free classes or went to the local print shop or went to the coffee shop. And I think we stay away from that or we randomly put postcards. Like I know everybody still puts postcards yep. and flyers, but we see so many of those that I don't know if there's valid, but like that actually making the connection with the human that you want in. Yeah. Because we yeah. all know, like you and I, right? Like we, uh, let, let, let's split off of this in a little bit, but, but uh, trainer folks, um, this is probably going to go into like avatar land, like finding the people, um, uh, you know, your, your avatar should be based on, who you find you enjoy training or who you're hoping to draw. I purposely want to draw the people I enjoy training, not talking to Tony here. That doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to be super wealthy. If you want to make a shit ton of money, you might want to specifically target super wealthy people, right? There, that, That's valid. Exactly. I, I'm more like my life is too short. I want to target my avatar. So the day, the real life funnel, let's use you and I as in a real life funnel in this. I'm teaching a class at MFF. Was it Snatch that we met or was it a class? No, Snatch. Snatch. So I'm yeah, teaching Snatch at MFF. And Tony's one of 15 people in the room. And just whatever the music selection, whatever, however I deliver, however he jokes back, Tony and I find each other, right? And we become like, Tony starts seeking me out. I get excited when Tony's in class. We start hanging out. And now he's my bro, right? And that's how I want basically to find everybody. Now, I know that's a little bit unrealistic, but I don't think for like a, as a coach, like as an independent trainer coach or someone trying to build their own brand, uh, I don't think that's so unrealistic. I think we have to keep our eyes open for these opportunities and not just be like, hey, I met somebody, but like, hey, I met like the person, like Mr. or Mrs. Wright for what I do. Yeah, feel we can legitimately benefit the person. Now, I'm not just trying to like say like sell yourself on somebody. I'm saying like yeah. if this shit is there, right? Like you all have those moments. Like like it's like internet dating, but in person, because I've never really dated in person. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm starting to think that that's so much more valuable than this whole social media side of it. And I feel like right now they're going to pick up on this and my algorithms are going to get fucked and it's going to be like the last year ever hearing me on social media. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to disappear. Tim, Tim uh, going to get but, ahead. But seriously, what do I need? If I'm looking for 40 members here at Fury Industries, how much advertising on Facebook do I need versus going out and meeting 300 local people, right? Yeah. And actually having, yeah. having dialogue. Yeah. And, and you're right. And I think what's really funny is that you just described, you just described the, the real life analog version of what this funnel building is online. Right. So if we're in a class of 15 people and I'm the only one on this call two years later, that shows sort of shows you the return. Right. So like one in 10 of those people. So it's like, how do you get in front of the 15 people? Right. So to find me, I got to be in that group of 15 that you're standing in front of. You got to shotgun that shit, right? You don't walk into the sniper and know that your first shot, you're going to hit me. 
you know, you walk into a classroom and I'm there. And I think that that's what the internet thing does. I think that, that a lot of, you know, what's really interesting is once we get into like the people who come and buy, buy a pair of shoes, right. And we've, we're, we've been up long enough where we're starting to see people come back then. And they're, you know, they're referring, you know, they're starting, they're, uh, they're, we're starting to remarket to them. So once you buy a pair of shoes, you start seeing a different set of ads from us, you know, um, and something that my people are encouraging me to do. And I don't know, you know, and, and I think this is sort of depends on your comfort level and it's sort of a, how do you want to live? How do you want to leverage your current client base? But the way all these companies that are direct to consumer online do is like, Hey, listen, we dig you, you dig us. Certainly, you know, cool people who would also dig us. And what if I throw you 20% off a pair of shoes? Or what if, if your friend buys two pairs, I throw you a free pair of shoes? And I've had both our SEO and our SEM companies say, like, guys, we're getting to the point where, like, that's, that's kind of the next step, you know? So it's sort of like, it, unless you want to continue just, you know, giving Facebook a shit ton of money, you know, in, unless you want to go do that. So I, I think it's about, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between the two methodologies. And I think that for me, you know, I'm trying to sell shoes like globally, right? I'm trying to sell, you know, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm selling a hundred pairs of shoes a day off my website. And, you know, so I need to cast a really huge net, you know? Um, but you're literally trying to, you know, you're trying to draw people to a single location in Brooklyn, you mm -hmm. know? And so, and so you're, you're already going like, all right, I need people. And I know, you know, the online things are different, you know, the online training is a whole, a whole different thing, but to get people in, it's almost like, you know, if there was some, you know, if there was an ethical way to poach, right? So it's like, you know, if there, you know, which, yeah. which there's not, which unfortunately there's just not, right? And, but, but it's sort of like, you know, unless you are, you know, you're volunteering to teach, you know, to teach a class of 20 at the Y once a week, you're, you're, you're getting yourself out there where, where you know if there's going to be one Tony, so let's say like if you, if you teach three classes a week and you're looking, your return's probably going to be like one or two Tonys or one and two Jens or one and two Emily's or one or two, you know what I'm saying? I'm viewing the world now in currency that is just based <laughs> on Tonys. How much is that? How much is that kettlebell over there? Oh, that's about 40 Tonys. <laughs> I mean, 40 Tonys, you know, it's sort of like the other dark place that I just went to is like the incel movement. Um, this is going to go down a dark, dark hole. Um, the incel movement refers to like people who are successful at having sex as like chads, right? So the chads, <laughs> the chads are guys who actually get laid, and the Stacys are the girls who won't fuck the incel guys. So now I'm now I'm a Tony, and I don't know where I fall in that. Um, but yeah, the, the Coach Theory podcast does not endorse. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's just really, and you know, I mean, we've talked about it before because I do have, you know, I do have my side gig where I'm in this kind of the same boat. And there've been times in my career where I've had to fall back on my side gig and I need more customers. And it's like, you know, I definitely am lucky in that the people that I do work with and, you know, with my full-time job, at one point I probably blew out to having about 20 clients and that was pretty regular and that, that, that gave me enough work to survive. But you know, I shaved it down to where I only really see four to six people on any sort of regular basis because I just don't have time, you know, and when people's like, you know, when you drop your iPhone and you need to replace your iPhone, like you need the guy, unless if you don't want to go to the Apple store and you want me to come over, I actually have to be available. So yeah. I couldn't manage that. But I did, you know, I tried advertising, I put up flyers, I did all that. And what I found was exactly the thing you just talked about, where it's just like, Half of the people who would call me, I would know the minute I got on the phone with them, like, I don't want to go to your house and work on your back. Like, I just don't like you, you know? And it's like, and it's like, but you need the money. And it's like, but I don't like them. So, you know, it's that thing where when you're doing a one-to-one -one 
when your business is a one-to-one engagement, you know, you really need to be able to filter because that's the other thing. Like, even if you have the most successful Yelp campaign or a Facebook campaign or Instagram campaign, you know, you're still, you can't, you can't filter for personality. You know, you can't, you can't filter asshole. Plus like there is, especially for you going into somebody's, you know, from a, from a tech support standpoint or a trainers going in, you know, as a trainer to somebody you don't know, there's a sketch factor. And that's something yeah. also that I, I realized here, like, you know, somebody has to have that leap of faith to come and train in my apartment. Yeah. And, you know, I am very increasingly, increasingly aware of that. Whereas like, you know, in the beginning, I was like, you know, fuck, I got this reputation. I'm Mr. Nice Guy. And then I'm like, nope, I'm a potentially strange dude. Looks like a convict. You're coming into my apartment. Uh, So how to open up like a new awareness to that. So that's why the other thing is investing in the personality on the outside. And I also like, you know, instead of just like trying to get people to book sessions or go to my website, like when somebody new comes in, I'll be like, oh, and check out my reviews. Yeah. Right. So that like there, there's like you're not just taking my word of it or some potential story. Like go to my website, go through the whole thing. You'll see the group photos that I'm not bullshitting about going to Japan that, uh, you know, I have this many whatever reviews and you can get a sense of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not only do I think that it's going to be more effective for me, it's like it's more enjoyable. So all uh, trainers, I'll just say this as an example. Right. I'm a relatively shy guy. I know that sounds weird because I get pretty open on this podcast and on social media and in classes, I was practically tearing up with John in class today um, just cause I love what's happening here so much. And, but like, I'll go to a bar and I'm usually not the guy that talks to anybody. I'm like, you know, I'm with like Kim or my friends and that's it. And I've been forcing myself. Like if there's an opening with a conversation that someone looks cool uh, and yeah, that's judgmental, but that's all right. Like, cool. It's like, I'm not saying like, religion, color of skin. I'm just like, whatever. Like they might have a cool shirt, cool pair of glasses. John, who was here today that I was, John, I met like as a ninja at MFF and the way we connected is he had fucking rad glasses on. And I just started asking about his glasses. Yep. Right. So if you have those moments, cause it allows them to get to know you, it's a potential client, but more importantly, it's a potential friend in the neighborhood. So it's really no lose there. And if they're an asshole, like, all right, I invested like five minutes in some asshole. And then I wouldn't want their business anyway. So taking those bolder steps though because for me to like i'll have that thing like they sent those really cool sneakers that's a cool star wars shirt you know yeah. i don't know if you can <laughs> on this podcast by the way i'm looking at the levels but i'm like it's a really cool star wars shirt i should say something yeah. well, that's really fucking weird if this guy says something but it's like no we're having drinks i'm gonna say something i'm like literally you made a couple of good friends you know the other night the other night at this bar sea witch down down the block and i want to get to know the businesses too because i think we all do struggle to bring in business yeah um so yes, I, I I agree about that sort of big blast approach and then having to sniper it down. But I also think that big blast abro- approach could be like, you know, I guess it's kind of like dating. Like you approach 20 people and you're going to find one that you can hang out with for a while. Right. Really right. Term, as opposed to being in the room of 20 people and, and hoping for the best. Because that's just a, a situation I'm not in. And social media is so distant that, you know, I could pay for advertising and I'm very grateful, uh, trainer friends, I'm very grateful for when you like my posts, but I think we all see that most of the people that like our stuff aren't our clients, they're our peers. Yeah. We are not gonna make money off of them on the norm. Now I am in a rare situation, very grateful for it, that like I teach courses and do online coaching and a lot of my, my members, the Fury crew, happen to be trainers. So for me, that's valid, but I'm still not always, rarely targeting specifically for trainers. I'm like trying to find something that like Tony's of the world 
yeah. and, uh, can appreciate as well. But a trainer, I, I would say, think about that in your material. Like, who's it for? And is it, is it a paying client or is it some sort of just reputation amongst your peers? Because unless you're teaching workshops or hope to, and I think we all hope to, but folks like there's money in those hills and then there's not money in those hills. Um, you could be way better served having just a very busy session week and getting to the point where you can elevate your day rate, your hourly rate. So uh, it's just something to think about. It's come up on this podcast again and I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, I hope she doesn't mind to bring this up. Zoe. From, you know, from uh, the tier program at MFF, uh, yeah. over at Catalyst now. She reached out to me. I, I wrote a blog how, like, I, I, lately I've seen a lot of sort of condescending trainer-to-trainer posts in the form of education. Like, basically, like, hey, you asshole trainers, you're assholes if you're doing this because this is what we should be doing versus, like, hey, this thing might help you. And she was like, how do you, you know, create content with that in mind? I'm like, well, like I said, Zoe, I, I basically write with, with two things in mind. Um, I write as if I'm writing to a friend and I'm writing with the intent to help. I'm never really writing in the intent to sell myself other than like clear marketing advertising forms. Like I want you to train with me, but like I'm never putting someone down for the sake of like, Hey, this, you'd be, you're fucking this tip up. You should be doing this. I just like, we get caught on that. And I guess people dig that and that's fine. That'll be like their avatar type of client. Maybe it's more cynical. Maybe it's more bitchy, but, uh, you know, it was very interesting when Zoe asked me that question because I never really thought of it that way. Like, I'm writing to a friend and how can I help them? Whether they're a trainer or an enthusiast. And I think, you know, one of the feed, pieces of feedback I've been getting a lot more since this podcast is people now, you know, on a blog or a video, people get a small little snippet of who you are. They start to understand your voice and they come into a workshop, they meet you, whatever. And it's like, oh, now they, they kind of really know who I am to some degree because they've heard the voice and spent I apologize hours listening to me talk at this point. <laughs> and they realize like, it's the same dude, right? Like I'm not putting on my like present presenter pants. Um, I'm just not wearing tights. So I guess I am putting on presenter pants. Um, uh, but it's that one thing where uh, I think a lot of us put up a front for social media. And then if we're not being ourselves, how are we like approaching an avatar? Like, like how are we going to try to find our ideal client if we're not being true to ourselves? Cause what are they buying into? Because either on the client-facing side, they have to buy into you for who you are and what you can do. I, I, I'll always believe that. You might not be the best trainer, but if you have a great personality and they're still getting results, they're going to want to work with you versus the dude or, or woman that has all the fucking degrees and the elite-level bench press. They're going to want to work with you. Yeah, I think it comes – I mean, I can take – I can you know, I can look at it specifically. I mean, I can, I can tell you – you know, what works for me, uh, you know, as a provider, and then also what works for me as a client, as a guy who trains, you know, and it's just, it's just, you know, what the one thing, and I'm, I'm also guilty of this too, when you're, when you're communicating, whether it's peer-based communication or client-facing communication, it's not about just showing up and telling everybody how much you know, right? I mean, I mean, your knowledge has to be in service of your client's goal. And, or, you know, the person you're trying to help, if you're going to write a blog, like there's a lot of stuff, you know, you know, and the tech world's the same way, and, you know, to some extent, um, you know, what I do with shoes is the same way. There's, and, and I am the king of like, I know a lot of shit and I am the first to tell you, I like to tell you how much I know. Um, but there is a time and a place, which is, that's very, not very often where that's appropriate. And what, what it has to be is, you know, particularly client facing, you know, it's like, the difference between a good trainer, I, no, I'll go all the way. The difference between a bad trainer, a good trainer, and a great trainer. 
Um, and I've had, I've had a lot of bad trainers, you know, before my MFF experience, like I would show up for personal training at, I've been to every gym. I've been a member of all the really expensive known gyms in New York. And I've trained with all those, you know, those kinds of trainers. And it's like, I've gotten hurt. Like I've literally, when I was really, really big and I'd say, Hey, you know, I can't do those box steps today. I can't do it. You know, the next thing I know I'm like stepping up on boxes and then I'm hurt for three days or, you know, the cliche of like, you show up and, and, uh, you know, your trainer is like really, really hot and she's 27, but she's on her phone the entire time, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, oh, so you're going to lead with like, I should be lucky to be here with you. And it's sort of like, it just, you're not, you know, a bad trainer just doesn't show up. And then a good trainer, you know, a good trainer shows up and, you know, there's an awareness there and there's definitely like, oh, all right, this person's here to work with me. Um, but there's still there's still something that's not quite there. And that's that, like they're in the room, but they're not really paying attention. They're like, oh, well, you're there. You're looking at me and you're talking to me. But clearly you're thinking about like you haven't eaten and you're going to have lunch later or you're going to, you know, that girl that you banged or didn't bang the night before or your boss is on you or whatever. It's again, it's apparent if you're paying attention that somebody's not paying attention to you because you know what? I'm not getting cues. You know, I mean, I'm not getting, you're not looking at my form. You're not saying, you know, you're not asking me if that's too heavy, you know, and a great trainer like it's full, like it's, it's a full engagement and it's not an engagement around, it's not necessarily, Hey, how was your weekend? What are you going to do? Let's play name game. It's like, how does that feel? Oh, you could probably lift more, huh? Oh, maybe it's this little cute, you know, and it's those things where, you know, a great trainer, like even if I'm working with them a lot, every time I show up, I feel like I get a cue, you know, or I feel like I'm, I'm getting, and, and, and I think that, that, that's something that you if you if you're that person and you know you're that sort of, of fitness professional you need to be able to express that on the front end you can't just be like look how jacked i am and look at all my certs you know and i think there's a lot of a lot of in your business what i see is you know look how jack i am jacked i am and look at all my certs and then you know as a as a non-fitness geek like i'm geeky about a lot of stuff as you know but i'm not a, i'm not in your business you know but but when i listen to some of your podcasts or i listen you know or, or I look online or I listen to, you know, somebody's on Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or he gets those, you know, those guys tend to be like, oh, it's really like, let us tell you how right we are and how wrong everybody else is. And I think that like, and that really is a, as a potential client that just like, if you could have the best, you could have the magic fitness pill. But if I get the idea that you're just here to tell me about how much better you are than everybody else, I'm going to be put off. And I think that that's the difference between good trainers. And I'm sure they're all good trainers and great trainers is like, you know, you got to make it about your client and you have to find a way to communicate that. So the bottom line of that story is, is I showed up as the 26 year old girl on my phone the whole time. Right. That was basically <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to name names. Or your friend. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Joe Rogan and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the person who I was listening to today, but he wrote a, a uh, a book about living with the Navy SEAL Goggins is the last name. I'm forgetting his first name. And I've heard him on the show and he's an inspiring dude just in terms of he's got the mental prowess to like put himself through a ton of things like, you know, ultra marathons without really training where he's basically destroys his body in the process. Right. And on one hand, it's like, yeah, that's fucking motivating the power of the mind. But then when they start talking about actual training and how they're falling apart about it, yeah. it does put out this like, just go and do it. Like, that go, you know, they were talking about like as many burpees as you can in 10 minutes. 
and I just, you know, it's this weird thing where publicly like, yeah, like it's inspiring to be challenged and find those dark spots, but it's spaces, but it's also like, fuck, like what is that benefiting somebody other than mental toughness? But in the long term, we have to be aware of like, how is that breaking down the body? Yeah. Long term. Like folks, it's like, it's the other end of like the dieting. That's like the extreme level of training on the other end of being, you know, going into eating disorders to lose weight. Yeah. And it's really hard sometimes to convey, you know, we get very Zen about this right now, the middle way, the middle path of fitness, which is, I think something that certainly I do, certainly MFF does. I think that better coaches and, and facilities do where it's like, yes, you need to find the right amount of intensity, but that intensity is not shitting blood as MFF would say. Right. Not, uh, uh, what is it in CrossFit? Uncle Pukey. It's <laughs> 70, 80% of your best effort, usually around 70%. It's just doing it consistently. And yeah. occasionally you pin it a little bit, but like you say safe, because there was just a, a conversation in strength faction. Somebody's training for a powerlifting meet is starting to have a lot of, a, a lot of pain issues in the elbows and is like, like serious pain in the elbows. Should they rest? Should they compete? Should they back off? And it's like, well, are, are you going to win money out of this? No, it's just for fun. Well, then you got to think about long-term. What might that be? Right. And we're all grown up, so you'll have to make those decisions. But it's when it's conveyed as the public, this is what we should be doing to be right. amazing. Right. That's kind of fucked. It's like we're all not going to be an Olympic uh, gymnast and we're all not going to be in the UFC. Well, we but don't aspire be, to that. But I you mean, can train yeah. for gymnastics course, if you'd like to. And you can train for martial arts, but you don't have to fight. Right. Yeah. You don't have to be in an actual fight because yeah. the risk versus the reward is very high. Now that doesn't say you don't compete, Like you know, you got to run your race on that stuff, but choose, choose what your goals are. But I think like that stuff gets lost. And I think I sidetracked off of you a little bit, but I think there are those trainers. Oh, it's the Joe Rogan thing brought that up in my head. Yeah. There are all those trainers that want to push, 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 push. And yes, we should be pushing clients to a degree, but it's got to be to the right degree. And that's part of the skill of being a coach is yeah. I am looking at you and I am looking at your form and I'm looking at like how your face is exerting. I'm looking at how your neck is tensing up. I'm looking how form, you know, whatever that is, I'm deciding like, all right, we're about to cross that edge where you're about to go into 90% of your effort or fatigue is about to kick. And this next rep is going to get real fucking ugly and risky. Yeah. And a lot of people just say, just go again. I had yeah. an old, uh, uh, old uh, not that he's an old guy, but I had a, a former client of mine I haven't seen in a few years that moved to Texas. And, you know, he reached out and he was like, you know, he sent an email. He's like, hey, Fury, I'm working with this guy. He's a really nice guy. He's a kettlebell dude. I think he's an RKC guy, former RKC guy. And he likes to train high reps into failure. And, and, and that's like, <laughs> it's like, why? And I know Boop. he's got an injury. Oh, shit, I shouldn't have named him. I'm going to hit that up. Yeah, I'll edit that out. <laughs> I have this guy. <laughs> Go back. Take two. So I have this guy, and, and he's got an injury history. And knowing that history, high rep and failure, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. Right? So, But this dude looks jacked. Sure right? he does. Sure he does. Looks like, you know, just got out of the military. You know, that type of thing. It's a really hard dichotomy, and I think it – that with the social media message and, and brand marketing, I think it's hard for someone like yourself, a gen pop person prior to coming to MFF and your experience there, yeah. really to, to learn what, what is the right way. Because the bottom line is this, folks, trainers, if you're putting out this type of information, look, if that's how you want to train people, you have to be upfront with it about it. You have to be upfront about the potential risks about it. Because what you're going to do is if someone comes in seriously deconditioned and in bad shape, 
and you provide that and it doesn't work for them, that's how they're going to view all of fitness. You might have just fucking, if you haven't heard them, you might have just turned them off to getting better. You have to be clear about it. Now with me, I'm often going to have to tell people like, I'm expecting them to think they're getting off a little bit easy with me. Generally not the case. But a lot of times people like are shocked that I put in as much rest as I do because they've had a trainer trying to like gun them and then they worry yeah. why their lower back or necks are fucking sore yeah. all the time. Yeah. Because this other guy wasn't allowing for rest. Yeah. Right? You're barbell lifting. And yeah. I don't guys, it's not CrossFit. Like I'm not, I'm not getting this is like like just like deadlifting and benching. And he's got you like rushing high reps and going for speed in between. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, now there's purposes and things that could be discussed for any specific, but like I, I just hate it when something I wish we could be clearer about this is right for most people. And now the, the differentiator between brands is the personality connect. I have a lot of Godzilla shit. You right. like Godzilla shit. Right. I'm going to be the guy to deliver that. You like exactly. the unicorn stuff. MFF is going to be the spot for you to go to that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. whatever that might be versus like our training modality is the fucking best. You know, yeah. like guys, if you're training with kettlebells, like guess what? we're almost all doing 90% the same shit. It's yeah. just how well it's taught and how well it's programmed. And I think that, I think that the two things that, you know, the, th the, the two things that always stuck, that always stick in my head that I, I go back to at least once a week that you said it, I think one you said in class and one you said to me in a, in a semi-private uh, or maybe a private private because it was the early days of Bowery when it was like, 40 degrees down there and it was just you and me. <laughs> but I think at some point during snatch, you're like, you know, train through the pain is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if it hurts, we stop. Like you don't hurt, you don't come here to hurt yourself. You said something to that effect and it was like, that was the first time. And again, in many, many years in New York gyms, that's the first time I had heard that. Because what I heard mostly was the other thing of like, you know, pain is fear, leaving the body or blah, blah, you know, all the fucking, you know, the, the sloganeering about that. And it's like, no, like I legitimately like my knee hurts, like it gets and the more I work on it, the more it hurts. So I don't understand how I'm getting stronger if I now can't come back to the gym for the next week. You yeah. know, that, that always blew me away. And then, you know, so so that was something that like, and I think it was. I think you didn't come into that that round of snatch. I didn't. I didn't see you until like week two or week three. And things get real in snatch when you're 310 pounds. You know that week three was like intense, right? And I remember like I was having a hard time, but you'd said that I was like, yeah, I'm not here to kill myself. I'm not here to hurt myself. My my expectation is not that I'm going to be you know 195 and jacked at the end of six weeks. The, you know, it's like maybe I can walk down those fucking stairs. You know, and so that yeah. was that was incredibly valuable, and I think that that's to keep in mind too. And it's sort of like when I when I talk about paying attention, it's like look at your clients as individuals, look at your clients as people. And and what you said just earlier was like, listen, here's the methodology that works for most people, and then it's your job as a trainer. You know, I expect you know it, it's it's sort of like with anything. It's like if I was working for a different shoe company, like I my skill set is pretty broad and I can make you a line of shoes. I can make you a line of $600, you know, women's heels in your size fury, or I can make like really size 11, shoes. but I need the right foot extra wide. for the bunion. <laughs> got it. The bunion we got, you know, or I can make sneakers. Well, it's two, you know, they're two different kind of client types. The methodology is there, but I've got to tailor what I do specific to those brand, those, those types of those things. The other thing that, that I always remember and, you know, my new, my new programs are really, really intense. And you're talking about building and rest. Like I've got a program that Raj wrote for me. That's a half hour of bench rest. It's like, it's just, it's just crazy. Like five sets of five 
like at as heavy as I can go. And you know what I do? I do hip cars in between, you mm-hmm. know? And it's just like, and he's like, Tony, and if I, if the first time I did it, I blew through the whole program in like half an hour. And he's like, no, no, no Tony, I'm building in the rest because lo and behold, the next morning I was just exhausted, you know? Um, so that's, that's the thing too. And the other thing that I always think about, and that's neither here nor there, but the, the other thing I always think about that you said um, that I always, and I, and I, I name check you with all the other trainers too, is like two in the tank. Like I always try to leave two in the tank. Like I know, you know, on that fit, this, this bench, this round that I'm doing with this five sets of bench press, like I try to go, like if I'm doing five, am I doing it a weight where I know I could do seven? And then by the end, that last set, it's like, it's kind of, it's iffy whether I could do two more, but you know, those first four reps, I'm not, I'm not killing myself on the first two reps, three reps, four reps, you know? And that's just, that's really, you know, those two things. And I was like, oh, and that was, you know, you were part of the MFF crew, but specific to stuff that you told me is like those two things, man, we don't train through the pain and we do in the tank. And it's just like, it's super reasonable, you know? The pain thing for me is, It, it is a big marketing gimmick in a large way. And I think, you know, it stems a little bit from like a badass military first responder background. And what I don't think people really put into perspective is, you know what, like if you're in the military or first responder, you might have to actually function through significant pain. Right. So I'm not even saying that they should be training through pain, but like if there's a place where that's going to make sense, it's kind of like you might be shot. You might have a broken limb and you might have to still function. Yeah. It's life or death. I mean, if we're talking Navy SEAL training, like they have to sustain water, it's fucking life or death. We're not talking life or death here. (laughs) And and they, they are training you to handle like, you know, like seal water testing and stuff like crazy situations so that when you're in them, you don't die or panic. Right. So that's separate. Now for you and I, it's like, there is no, how am I? So if you come in, you know, over 300 pounds, like you mentioned. And my main goal, your main goal is going to be to lose weight and get stronger in that order. Right? Yep. Well, how can you lose weight and get stronger if I've just blown out your knees and or your back and now you need to take two weeks off? Like that great workout is fucking useless. Yep. Right? So I might have yep. delivered like, I felt great. Even though he pushed me, I never felt that way before he pushed me. And now I'm on the fucking couch for two weeks. Yeah. What's the last thing as your trainer I want you to be? on the couch for two weeks right and i just think we can get all like motivational in front of a room we can get all so gung-ho and rah-rah but it's like at the end of the day too i need you to be able to come back in at least two days right because we got to get that consistency going so exactly exactly without consistency there's no result and with no result there is no continuation and that up until a year ago that was my experience like you know knowing how to diet knowing how to exercise but not being able to get the consistency and a lot of that had to do with like you know just that i'm sorry my kid is my kid is just texting me up here i'm sorry uh, she's like bang 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 she wants, she wants to go see hereditary without me because this is my life now <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, i gotta save that one for kim i'm 17 i don't need you for r-rated movies anymore oh I'm yeah not ready. So, you're not you're not ready i'm you're not ready. ready you're not but ready t- taking this back in um you mentioned how you heavy you were when you started yeah tell this fucking wonderful world what you weigh now I am. I haven't weighed myself in about a month, uh, but I'm down to about two thirteen. Amazing, handsome, <laughs> sexy all get out, uh, folks. Like Tony is one of my best friends, and I'm really proud of him. You know, we saw this. Uh, 
we were going through a hard time when I left MFF and, uh, you know, to leave you in the hands of Raj and the crew. Uh, and then I didn't see you for a bit while we were both dealing with a lot of our own sort of me being out of my own, trying to build business, you dealing with some other stuff. And when I finally got to see you a few months later, man, the impact had already been made. And now, you know, Tony's like a new guy and, you know, he just mentioned his daughter, like folks, like, here's the thing, right? Now, I want Tony to get healthy for himself, and he did. But you know what's more important than that? His daughter, right? So when you're talking about crushing workouts and shit and training through the pain, like, tell that to his fucking daughter when you hurt them, when you hurt somebody's mom or you hurt somebody's dad, right? Like, and accidents will happen. But when you're an asshole, potentially an asshole, um, think about that. And uh, All right, I just did what I did in my condescending talking to coaches. Folks, when you're program or you're coaching and motivating – right? Really put it into the perspective of the person and not just the person in the room and delivering an ex- quote unquote experience for them in the room to prove you worth. Think about they have to go back home to whatever their family is. They have to go back to their job. They have to be there to represent for their kids, for their uh, spouses, their partners, their lovers, whatever. Just put that in perspective when you're wondering if we should go 40 pounds heavier this day for no random ass reason. And like, I think today might be the day to go 40 pounds heavier. Just remember that stuff. Cause it's easy to get lost in an hour. Like I got, you know, like I, I, I want to deliver this session for Tony in the hour. And uh, I think if we put this extra weight on, I think he's like, I think he's got it. I feel pretty good. Might not get it though, but I think he's going to be good. You know, his back has a history of sometimes acting up, but like, I think he's got it. Cause he's doing really, you know what? Yeah. Maybe lay off. And maybe wondering if that's more worth it for you than it is for him. Because Tony's lost over 100 pounds, and I think that's the biggest win, and he's still on it. Now, not only have you lost weight and got strong as fuck and sexy as fuck, and Kim wants me to basically steal your wardrobe, that's <laughs> um, Tony uh, moves extremely well. You act as if you're not a fitness geek, but you are, because Tony's like got fitness habits now, especially on the nutrition front. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your, uh, how do you, what's your nutrition plan? Like how, how, I don't want to say like the, the style that you eat in, but like what you do. Um, I do a lot of stuff. I mean, if you want to talk nutrition, I mean, nutrition in general, I started intermittent fasting back in September and I do a 16, eight. So for those, you know, you fitness people probably all know what that is, but if you don't, basically I eat from one o'clock in the afternoon until nine o'clock at night. Um, and I don't eat, you know, until the following, the following day. Um, the idea, and this is all, I'm just going to, as a caveat, say that this entire year has been like brought to you by modern medicine. Like this is all medically supervised. I didn't freelance any of this. I went, got a great medical team, um, that, you know, look at me and I get tested and blood work and everything every six weeks to make sure. So it's a lot of weight. It's about 97 pounds in the year. That's a lot of weight for anybody to to lose. There's very unhealthy ways to do it. Um, so, you know, we're not doctors, but I'll tell you what I did. Can, can, right? can I, can, and you don't have to give the reasons for it, but I just yeah. want to say folks like Tony had like serious health issues that needed to medically be addressed with this. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I, I you don't need to go into specifics of that at all. Yeah. But I don't want to. It's it's not like you just hired like a, no, a no, diet no. doc. Like this yeah. was like no. This, this was no. This was the no. And and it's really it's really as simple as like I had a DVT in uh, over Thanksgiving of uh, twenty. What are we in? Seventeen. So twenty fourteen at my girlfriend's parents' house for Thanksgiving. Think I'm having a heart attack. Wind up in the emergency room in the hospital for three days. That led to like a whole bunch of testing. I got diagnosed with some some bad stuff. Um, 
didn't really do anything, tried to do stuff, but wasn't, couldn't get the consistency, couldn't get motivated, couldn't get my, my act together. You know, life gets in the way, right? There's always a reason you're not going to do it. You're always, something's always going to come up, right? Um, did that until about a little over a year ago, I walked into my doctor's office, you know, had some blood work done for the first time in a couple of years. And you know, this, this is no hyperbole. He basically said, Tony, you're going to turn 52. You'll be dead by 55. So for me, guys, I mean, there wasn't a choice. <laughs> it was not a choice. But, um, you know, so essentially what's what's worked for me, um, and I encourage you to, like, look at the science. I mean, people talk about keto diets, and I guarantee you it, if you're not under medical supervision being treated for epilepsy or some of these uh, other obesity-related things and you're just, like, getting keto off the Internet, you're not really doing keto. Um, but essentially what, what they're encouraging now for best results is a zero starch diet, which some people will identify as keto. It means that I can eat any protein. I can eat any fat. Um, I can eat only leafy greens and crucifers. So that means you people who like sweet potatoes and yams and eat that as fitness food. No, anything that's high on the glycemic index, you can't eat. So when I was first really heavy, I stuck to it religiously. I had no more than six grams of starch a day. And that's basically the equivalent of one piece of wheat bread. So, you, you know, you're not, obviously you're not drinking, you know, anything your body can process as glucose you're taking away. So that, that puts you into that state where if you've got a hundred pounds of lipids, if you've got a hundred pounds of body fat for your body to convert, it forces your body to do it. I mean, it forces you to eat, you know, to, to basically, um, process your fat. And the beauty is, it's like, I didn't worry about, you know, there's some other stuff I did too, but just let, I'll stick to the diet part. You know, you realize the new, the new science. And again, I'm not the doctor, go look it up, you know, start looking at it online. The, the new science is that your body will try to maintain your body weight. It just wants to, it wants 11 calories per pound per day. So if you're 300 pounds, it's just going to keep you hungry until you eat 3,300 calories. So if you, if you're able to, if you're still, if you know you're going to be hungry and you're going to eat 3,300 calories, just don't eat sugar and you'll force your, you know, don't eat sugar, don't eat starches, don't eat, you know, carbohydrates and you will force your body to process fat. So, you know, between, so between removing as much of the sugar, the glucose from the diet as I could and the fasting, I'm sort of always in a state of ketosis. Um, that's the big part of it, you know, and I also, you know, as, as we kind of, you know, we've kind of, uh, alluded to, you know, I, you know, I'm at the gym four days a week and, you know, the other thing I'm doing is I'm training in the last hour of my fast, which is really, really intense. So when I haven't eaten for 15 hours, I'm going and like doing these just terrible, terrible programs that these guys have written for me, you know, which are just, which are like, oh, this is just, like I said, it's a half hour of the same thing, just repetitive and, you know, but, but, you know, and it's, you know, you saw me at your wedding. That was kind of my first coming out. And it just, it just, once you get the result, I have to say, like you get the consistency and you get the results. And if you're really big, and all of a sudden, people who haven't seen you are like, holy shit, you were really big. You're not really big anymore. Guess what? You don't really want to be really big anymore. And it's, it's much easier, you know, and even now, the programs I have now, I'm like, no, you know, I want, like, I told, you know, I told Wheels. Wheels has been on the show. I don't know if Raj has been on the show, but... Um, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in talks to get Raj. Yeah. Raj Law is the, the guy who took my spot when I left MFF, and I've said this a million times, and to his face... There couldn't have been a better pick 
to sort of swap into my spot than Raj. So for some of the nearest and dearest, many of which are on the pod squad, it, 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 I'm very happy that Raj is the guy that they've connected with since I left MFF. No, it was a nice, it was a nice transition. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good shout out to him, but you know, and, and again, it comes down to that, that paying attention. And, you know, I told them, I mean, at the point when I started losing weight, I was, they were just giving me, I think there's probably a general sort of boilerplate strength training program at MFF that they give you, you know? And I remember asking wheels, like I was getting kind of bored with it. And I said, well, what, what is this? And I say, Oh, we're training you for strength. And meanwhile, I was losing six or seven pounds a week. So like my stomach was going, you know, I've lost like 17, almost 18 inches down on my waist. Mm-hmm. But at that point when I was like six, eight down, I'm like, okay, but I still got these like scrawny little arms and these man tits. Like, can, I want size. Like I want those fucking dinner plates, man. I want, you know, and so the next, next program, like here it comes. And then it's like, it got, it got really tailored and it's just, you know, it's much, it was much easier. And when I think of like, well, what was different? Cause like I said, you know, I spent years in fashion, so I had to look good and I had to go to the gym and I had to, you know, I, there was definitely focus on my appearance in those years, but nothing ever stuck, you know, and I'd have to crash diet or I do, you know, you talk about my daughter, like during this period, she actually told somebody like, I've seen my dad do this before and he's just going to go back. He's just going to go back to how it was. No, she told somebody that. And, you know, it's just because he's been on every diet and he's been at all these gyms. And, um, you know, this was about two months into the process. And I was, you know, I also am kind of a, you know, kind of a, uh, what do they call that? Fanatic about the meditation too. We won't go into that. And, you know, she was just like, yeah, he's always in a good mood and he's always happy. I don't think it's going to last because it never does. And it's just the fact that, you know, I can talk to my, you know, my particular you know, fitness professionals, you know, I ask and I receive and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing better than that feeling like, you know, I'm known and I'm understood and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I need. And then you do. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, like I'm really, I'm smaller, but I still have to wear an extra large shirt because I'm so fucking jacked, you know, that's that's kind of amazing. It's like, it's like, yeah, okay, this is, you know, or I wear a large and I look like a bartender at Splash circa 1994. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, and, and I've talked about this before, and when I, when I do some Die Mighty presentations, I talk about this. It's, it's one of the greatest things as a trainer uh, or as a facility, but it really has to come, whoever's leading the class or, or, or the session, is, is this, if you can create that connection and establish trust, right? So for me, it's like, if you be open, you be honest, you be yourself, you can establish trust. And that allows not only, you know, again, with that, we have to listen. That allows us to hear what you're saying, but also allow you to trust that we're going to provide you the educated way to get your goal. And sometimes that's a long-term thing. Like, okay, so you want to do nothing, you know, like five by five bench pressing, but we're going to have to, that's going to be maybe like two months down the road. We're going to focus on these things to build that foundation up. And, you know, one of the great things at MFF is you've allowed us the trust to do that, you know? And I think that sometimes is lost versus like sometimes clients come in and they just want to be, I want to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's not really going to be great for you right now. Like it's snatch test with limited shoulder mobility. Uh, I can't do that for you because it's going to rip your arm off. And I don't want you to even find another trainer that'll do that, but I'm sure you can, but it's not going to be me. Um, versus like, well, hey, I can't tell you when your shoulder's going to fit, but let's work on these things we can do and work on the mobility, and hopefully we'll get there. 
And I think there is that difference versus like a lot of times we get nervous of like, I need to deliver. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, I think the safest wonder, part is bad. Yeah. I wonder for, for you, Fury, too, if it's, if there's not a tendency to, you know, if, if the default isn't to try to have just something that works for everybody. I mean, I think that, that, you know, I've, I've, I've I know a lot of people who I classify myself included as lazy clever people right and so it's like oh i know this thing that works like you know if it's easier if i've got a, if i got 10 people who are coming and like say best case scenario you get really fucking busy right and you're having to write all these custom programs and we always think of you know i've had different opportunities to, to work with people in business much more talented than i who are always like no you have to always plan to like to to the biggest scale that you could possibly manage so you know it's not like right now i have four clients but like what about like if next week I have 40 clients? Now the default is going to be like, oh, I can write one program that's going to be like, that's going to be kind of that will fit all of them, you know, versus what, what seems to me like what I think we're talking about and what I keep saying seems to work is like, you know, no, you know, MFF is kind of a boutique and it's got to be custom. So how challenging is it for you? Like, you know, we're talking about, okay, trainers pay attention, this and that, the other, how, how, how hard is it for you to not fall into that trap? It's uh well, it's very it's 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 a yes and it's a no situation. So let's look at MFF for, for a moment. Like most most programs, and as most facilities, I shouldn't just say MFF are going to be fairly templated based on like any movement you know issue somebody might have, like knee, shoulder, back, whatever, right? right? Because we need to learn the foundational movement. So if you're new to the gym, you're going to have some form of a kettlebell deadlift, a goblet squat, planks, some sort of a push up as we build towards that, right? So yeah. the when we're, when we're starting out, the big rocks are going to be the same because we have to build that foundation, right? And I use this analogy sometimes because I, I actually saw this at MFF. When I first started MFF, there was a, a construction site on 40th across from Port Authority. And it felt like for eight months they were building the foundation, right? Like nothing was happening. It felt like nothing was happening. All of a sudden, I came to work one day and there were six floors, you yeah. have to invest yeah. the time in the yeah. foundation. Now you build that foundation. For example, John was here this morning, had never done one arm swings, has a great deadlift and two handed swing from MFF. Quite frankly, I don't know how he missed classes with one arm swings. You know, one arm swings, some people really struggle with it first. John had huh. a great foundation, knows how to hinge, knows how to be explosive, knows how to find his boat. So just adding a slightly different stimulus is great. Picked it up, no problem. So the base programs are somewhat similar minus like, you know, movement issues or health in, health things. Right. When we move forward, you know, some of my online programs are similar because I have the things that I think work and a lot of the people have came on the same point, but you know, sometimes they're very specific to what that person wants to work in. Like Raj's bench press, like somebody, uh, Megan, Megatron, who's been on the podcast, you know, she, um, she really wanted to work on loaded pistols in her pull-ups. And one of her programs was like with low volume, uh, low reps, ultimately at the end of the session, mildly high volume. That was the majority of her day. You know, there was other stuff in there, but it was like do a couple of pistols, do, do a couple of pull-ups, do something else in between, then go back, right? But what I'm doing is I'm monitoring the fatigue and the rep schemes and I'm allowing for rest and putting other things in the middle. And then I'm adjusting for... When, you know, because pull-ups are one of those things where, like, it's hard to stay fresh throughout a, a day. Like, they decline instead of getting better. Um, I'm in a unique position where I almost, uh, I almost can't template as much 
because of my roles in other groups, some people want a more heavily original strength-based program. Some people want more of the ultimate sandbag training. Some people right. are, want their kettlebell training or are specifically training for a certification in one or two. So they, they not only want to use kettlebells, they need to work on like their three to five test slips or three to six test slips. Gotcha. So minor like chunks sometimes I like, if it makes sense, I reuse chunks. Some things will be similar. Um, cause it's my training philosophy is my philosophy. And I think, you know, I don't train to be such a, uh, sport specific in nature. So if these things work, I think they'll make you better at everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, 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 you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it's like, yeah, and muscles basically work the same, like everybody's muscles work the same way. It's just depending on like what the specific ask is. Like I said, like I asked for chest, like fucking Raj is giving me chest, right? You know? Yeah. 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 That makes so, sense. So I have a foundations class. It's literally called Fury Foundations and it's a six station class. So, so it, it's, it's all interval. Um, and, you know, one station is your hinge station. One is your squat station. Uh, one is your push-up station, say, and, and, you know, the list goes on. And when somebody's new, I have a very specific version that they're doing. But as people are experienced, it's the hinge station. It's not the deadlift or the swing station. It's like if you have snatches in your arsenal, if you have one-arm swings, two-handed swings, deadlifts, double bell swings, jump hinges, like, do it there because it's a hinge. It's the same but different, but it's a hinge, Right. But we yeah. have to have that foundation move. Same thing with squats. If you want to do goblet squats, if you want to do double kettlebell front squats, if you want to do offset squats, if you want to do bodyweight squats, if you want to do jump squats, it's a hinge. Uh, sorry, a squat. So that's that station versus being like so precious about it. Well, this is the only thing we're going to do. Right. I get more specific in the other classes, but, you know, in a semi-private training environment, a private training environment, like if it fits the goal and the movement pattern is the important aspect of this, the exact one isn't always as long as it still fits the goal. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that's something definitely that, that defines running your own race and it makes it more interactive, uh, but not like renegade interactive. Like I'm not trying to entertain you by putting something just in for the right. sake of putting it in. Uh, <laughs> hashtag flossing burpee, this round of classes of period injuries. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, even the silly burpees, one of the things that I picked up at MFF was like, you know, the nice thing about doing a silly burpee with like a dance at the front is it chills people the fuck out and they have fun versus yeah. just trying to crush through a ton of burpees. Because I, I think there's value to a well-executed burpee, but most burpees aren't well-executed because we're just thinking, go, 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 go. Well, and you're so tired and you, th you throw them at the end of the, you know, at the end of an hour and it's just so like, you're going to do 15 rounds of this. And it's just like, yeah, I get to two. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Hence, <laughs> you know, hence all of the themed burpees and they're right. super fun too. So like we're coming at the end of something and you can bust into like, you know, a time step burpee, uh, star Jones burpee, uh, <laughs> kid fury burpee, the uh, camp on me love African anteater ritual burpee. Uh, <laughs> some of my, that one's my, one of my, probably my all time favorite burpee. Though. I love how those are all top of mind still. Um, well, the time step was my biggest failure burpee. I sucked at that one. Um, Star Jones is just funny because I felt like Star Jones was already irrelevant by the time I got to MFF uh, in 2014, but I yeah. still love that we were still using the name. Right. I think we started changing it to Star Lord Burpee. I don't know if I did that or Hemingway, the Star Lord Burpee. Oh, that Guardians, makes sense. When Guardians was popular. Um, but, dude, uh, we actually have to wrap this up because wow. I'm going to have oh, another gosh. call in a fucking 20 minutes. I'm having some of my buddy uh, Ben. Nice. Tony, any final words to the listeners? I think. Uh... It's going to sound so cliche and young Tony would have 
punch me in the throat if you heard me say this. But I think uh, perseverance and consistency are my uh, two final words for the listeners. It's so not punk rock, but you know what? I'm not that punk rock kid anymore. Well, yeah, that's the thing, though, right? Like, we, we <laughs> the odds with that to some degree. We're still yeah. here. Yeah. Um, uh, tell people where they could find about either you or the shoes or both. Um, so I am not very social media savvy. I don't have Twitter. I don't have Facebook. I am lowercase Tony Ramo on the Instagram, and I'm public, and it's just pictures of my, my kid and what I eat and occasionally, like, some shoes. And occasionally um, you in your underwear. Occasionally me in my underwear when I'm doing, like, showing you how much weight I've lost. Um, and uh, the, the sneakers that I'm working, uh, the company I'm working with is www.mobsdesign. That's M-O-B-S design.com. And uh, yeah, grab a pair, wear them, tell us what you think. People, te- people seem to like them. So uh, we're plugging along. But again, even with that, it's consistency and perseverance, right? Awesome. Uh, hey, Tony, can you tell the people to die mighty? Uh, this is Tony telling you to die mighty. This is Tony telling you to die mighty. Dude, I love you, Tony. And, I love you back, Fury. Uh, listeners, you're going to get to hear more of Tony because, well, we're recording this on a Friday, but the next Films of Fury episode is coming up shortly. It's going to be the Dead Solo Solo Pool episode where we talk about Deadpool 2 and Solo. I have so much to say about both those movies. Uh, so, <laughs> I know. You <laughs> so, <laughs> so, stay tuned for more Tony and Fury and the rest of the pod squad on that one. Brother, thank you for hopping on. My uh, pleasure. Man, um, I, I am grateful for your friendship and uh, for all of your health gains and, and forward thank momentum. You. Thank um, you, man. I really appreciate it. It's real. Uh, and listeners, stay tuned for the next episode. Go buy some shoes, yo. Films of Die Mighty Fury. Later, brother. Later. Bye. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, music, tour, and merch information. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or visit him on Instagram at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everybody. 